morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. My partner, Hal Bent, is off this weekend, and instead, we are thrilled to have our good friend, Matt Barr, the co-host of the 4th of Gold podcast, a must-listen for all 49ers fans, back to the program. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, David. I appreciate you having me back on. You know, it's always a good time to come on here and talk a little bit of 49ers, and today, you know, a little bit of the whole league. So let's just talk some football, my man. Indeed, and uh, when you look at this 2019 NFL season six weeks in, we appear to have a tale of two conferences, and the AFC, with the Chiefs playing rather poorly right now, the Patriots seem to be the runaway favorites to represent the AFC, yet again, in Super Bowl 54. But in the NFC, however, the road to Miami seems jam-packed, and that includes your 5-0 and San Francisco 49ers at or near the top of the ladder right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the AFC... It's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of question marks across the board. You know, there's some teams that, that we thought were going to be really good at the beginning of the year, and it's just been a tailspin. Uh, I don't think anyone predicted Denver going 0 and 4 to start the year. Uh, I know the the Chargers at 2 and 4 is, is also very strange. And then you got teams like the Patriots who are, are doing very well. Um, the NFC, the AFC South is also a mess. You know, who really knows what what's going on there. Man, but the NFC, you're right, it's pretty loaded at the top. Um, the only really weak portion of the nfc right now is the nfc east so if you look at them um that's kind of a mess you know dallas has dropped three straight philly can't figure out their offense or their defense really uh minnesota kind of a mystery you know which which kirk cousins is going to show up and yeah the uh the 49ers out west and then the seahawks out west as well seem like they're the cream of the crop out there you said it, man. It's going to be very interesting to see how the race in the NFC shapes up in the weeks ahead. And now let's talk about our main takeaways from week six, and I will go first here. Officiating in the NFL or in any sport will never be perfect, but it is perfectible. But the NFL is ruining its product by not taking drastic steps to make it so. It is time for the so-called Sky Judge, which was recommended by the coaches, meaning like an, an official in the booth to radio down to the officials uh, on the field if they get a call wrong, and also to implement much harsher penalties for officials that have a habit of repeatedly blowing calls. And just when you, you, I thought I'd see a blown call like last year with the Packers and Clay Matthews, that roughly the passer call that shouldn't have been that influenced the tie in week two last year, the uh, Bradley Chubb personal foul that uh, shouldn't have been called that in part influenced the outcome of Bears-Broncos in Week 2 this year. Mm-hmm. But but what happened on Monday Night Green Bay was absolute peanuts compared to those two because at least those two other games had other things that you, you, you could blame even more than the officials for on the outcome. But this game, you could blame it squarely on the officials. Two bad calls against Trey Flowers for hands to the face, it was he was just touching the shoulder pads. It wasn't hands to the face at all. And a blow pass interference call that Matt Patricia rightfully so was afraid to challenge because the officials are are, are too stubborn to over overrule those calls. God, that new PI rule is so useless, man. I, I just can't say that enough. Monday night's game is squarely on the officials' shoulders, and it could impact the the race in the NFC North by years end, given how close that division is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those blown calls, what they do is they – it actually impacted the Lions so much as of like right now. The Lions are in last place in the NFC North right now. Had they won that game, they would have been in first place. I mean, I know we're early in the season, but that's that's a huge swing. That's a division game. That game matters, uh, especially when it gets toward the end of the year. And I think you're absolutely right. 
the officiating needs to get fixed. I love the sky judge idea. I love having a guy that can just kind of radio in and be like, hey, nope, wave that one off. That's fine. You know, these these officials got to be a little bit more humble. They got to they got to swallow their pride a little bit, and they got to fix calls that need to be fixed. And another thing that has to be reconsidered, although it was sadly taken off the table in order to get the new collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFL Referees Association done, is the idea of full-time officials. That idea has to be revisited very quickly. We need these guys, as I've said numerous times on this program, to practice their craft full-time so uh, they master it to the best of their abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, these guys, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're, they're, you know, they have regular day jobs. You know, these guys just do it on the weekend and they're out there and, you know, they've been doing it for a long time. They're vetted. They've obviously had a lot of experience with it, but I think you're absolutely right. You're going to have to get these guys on full time so that they can just do this and focus on, on officiating all the time because this part-time stuff isn't, isn't, isn't getting it done. Plus you're paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have to be full-time employees if they're making that kind of money. Absolutely. I want to be paid hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a part-time kind of guy. Oh, totally. It, it's a dream <laughs> for, for all of us, but uh, the NFL, uh, you uh, you have to uh, put your foot down on this ASAP before more fans get alienated. And what was your major takeaway from week six? So my major takeaway, and it's, it's defense is ruling the NFL right now. You know, there was this big upswing of offenses kind of taking over, and, you know, McVay's offense came in and revolutionized some stuff. Um, even Shanahan's offense was real good, but the two undefeated teams left are the Patriots and the 49ers. And they are both riding their defense right now. They are both willing to, to let their defenses handle their business. And, and that's such a change from what it's been recently. Uh, you know, you see the chiefs in their offensive explosion, they're, they're putting up a ton of points, but they can't stop anybody. And because of that they've dropped two straight games, you know, it's, Defense seems like it's coming back. It's making a resurgence. You know, the NFL kind of goes through ebbs and flows of of what side of the ball dominates. And recently it's been offense. I think defense is kind of making its way back. Rushing the passer has become incredibly important. You know, the, the 49ers do that very well. The Patriots cover very well. You know, Stephon Gilmore and, and the rest of the secondary for, for New England is, is killing it this year. So I my biggest takeaway is defense is back. And I think that we're going to see more emphasis put on addressing defensive holes as opposed to, hey, let's just go score more points than the other guy. I completely agree. And uh, for all the offensive explosion that's happened this decade, people forget that two of the best defenses in history arguably came this decade with the Seahawks in 2013 and the Broncos in 2015, both teams who rolled their defenses to a Super Bowl championship. That should have been a sign to all of us that defense still matters and uh, it rightfully does. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're starting to see, I, th I think we're starting to see that. Like I said, with the Chiefs, the Chiefs are the biggest example because they've really just ignored their defense for a while. And, you know, they, they put some Band-Aids here and there. You know, they went and got Tyran Matthew. Um, and, and, you know, they got Fuller the corner and stuff. But they're not, man, they're just not putting the right emphasis on on stopping people. They're, they're, you know, you look at the Chiefs draft, a lot of them was offensive players. It's why. Why are you drafting offensive players? You already have an explosive offense. Folks on the defense, shore that up and make sure you don't have to go out and score 40 points a game to win. 
Yeah, but to be fair, though, I am all for building the nest, as my good friend Nick Kendall, a regular on this program, likes to say, for, for young quarterbacks, building a great offensive line and solid weapons around them on offense. But that offense was established even before Patrick Mahomes got there. Mm-hmm. So it's been rather puzzling. The Chiefs uh, haven't been pouring a lot of resources into their defense. And what's even worse, Frank Clark, who they traded draft capital for and paid a, a, a gargantuan sum to, he's been nowhere this season. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the Chiefs and pass rushers, they traded D Ford to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, D Ford has been more productive than Frank Clark on about half of the snaps because um, the 49ers are using him strictly as a pass rush specialist right now. Uh, and those are the kind of moves you can't be making if, if you want to stay on top of this league because the, the, the window to win is, is so short in the NFL. You know, you look at teams like the Cardinals under Bruce Arians who were really good, and then all of a sudden they are really not good. Um, the Raiders, when before Derek Carr broke his leg, you know, that was a Super Bowl caliber team. And then all of a sudden he breaks his leg, Derek Carr gets the yips, and it's just – it closes so quickly. Mahomes still looks like he's he's every bit of the MVP. You know, he's got that ankle issue right now. But you really got to work hard at sustaining some of this stuff. And it's it's part of what makes the Patriots just – so damn impressive because they've just been so good for so long. Yeah, and the key is they are willing to adapt their identity constantly. One year they're an mm-hmm. offensive powerhouse. Now they're a defensive juggernaut. Man, Belichick has won Super Bowls every possible way, and that's what all NFL teams should be open to doing. If you realize that a unit is regressing, invest in the other unit. Yeah, Belichick is the king of adjustments. Whether it's in-game, whether it's with the franchise, whatever it is, whether it's personnel, he makes adjustments that just work all the time. He's he's so good at it. I think he's the best coach in the history of the NFL. And, and the way the Patriots have just let him take over and dominate that franchise and, and be you know, the GM and make all the decisions, it, it's just paid off so so well for them in, in over the last, like what, 20 years? That it's just It's incredible to see that kind of success. Incredible indeed. And now let's play our favorite game here. This is called Truth or Exaggeration. In this game, I make a statement and you tell me why I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating. And we start with the Rams, who yesterday mortgaged their future to acquire all-pro cornerback Jalen Ramsey, Sorrentric, first-round picks in 2021 and 20, I mean 2020 and 2021, beg your pardon, and a fourth-round pick in 2021 as well. And the Rams will regret trading those two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey in the long run. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration. Look, first-round picks are are about a 50% hit rate right now. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, if he, if he plays at the top of his ability, he is a known quantity. I would trade two first-round picks for a known quantity that is a top-tier talent just about every time, especially if the, the Rams expect to be picking in, you know, in the back end of the first round. Uh, now, if that doesn't happen and those picks end up being top 15, top 10 picks, they're in trouble. And the way Jared Goff has played, they're going to be in trouble. But as it stands right now, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. You're not going to regret it. Jalen Ramsey, top-tier talent. I said I was ready for the 49ers to go trade two first-round picks to go get them. So I can't sit here and bash another franchise when they do it. I understand that point of view, but my biggest concern is Jared Goff, he is an offensive line dependent quarterback, meaning he's only as good as his offensive line. And mm-hmm. as we, we talked about on our NFC West preview, that Rams interior offensive line has regressed like we expected. And because Todd Gurley is no longer the same, Jared Goff has been exposed. And where are you going to get those guys to help Jared Goff? That's my biggest concern right now. And they might have, uh, it might help in the short run with Jalen Ramsey, but it might 
haunt them in their abilities to help Jared Goff. You're absolutely right, and it could. Like I said, if, if those end up being you know early picks because Jared Goff, you know, like you said, he's been exposed. We're probably going to see him bounce back over the next couple of weeks, and then everybody's going to kind of forget that he wasn't very good um, for for a stretch. It's just you know short memory in the NFL. People are very attached to their preconceived notions, and coming into this year, Jared Goff was a good quarterback. So people hold on to that for a very long time. Um, they could end up regretting it. I still think it's a little bit of an exaggeration just because I think Jalen Ramsey is that kind of talent. And, and the way their defense has just been, who not good. You know, they really needed to get an infusion of talent. I think sending away Marcus Peters was was a smart move, too. They gave him away for peanuts. But, you know, I think that was a locker room move. I think they, they, they were just ready to kind of separate themselves from him. Totally. Plus, his play has regressed dramatically on the field. He doesn't appear to take to coaching well these days. That's what Michael Lombardi tweeted yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And we go to Tampa, and speaking of quarterbacks, where Jameis Winston is beyond repair, even for Bruce Arians. Truth or exaggeration? Truth. I think both I think both Winston and Mariota are done in this league. I, I don't think they they haven't progressed like they should have. They don't make the correct reads. Winston has, you know, A-plus arm talent, and he just can't read a defense well enough. You know, you can't be throwing five interceptions in one football game. That's that's almost inexcusable. You know, Mariota, same you know, same thing. He's just been benched for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, that's that's brutal. I, I, I absolutely think that's the truth. I think both are beyond repair. And we move to Cleveland, where Freddie Kitchens should give up the play-calling duties to offensive coordinator Todd Monken, who has a reputation as a very smart play-caller. Truth or exaggeration? Absolute truth there as well. Uh, you know, you're looking at Freddie Kitchens. He looks like he's uh, he's in over his head. You know, he's in the weeds for sure. And he's got too much going on, I think, relinquishing play-calling right now, which he hasn't done a very good job of um, so far this year. It, you know, if he relinquishes that, maybe he can step back and focus more on the whole team and the whole game itself, as opposed to just kind of micromanaging the play calling. I know we've seen a lot of young offensive coaches, uh, the first time coaches kind of step in and, and be the play caller. I think Freddie Kitchens has too much on his plate right now. I think he should relinqu- relinquish it. Yeah, that sequence at the end of the first half uh, at last week's uh, loss to the Seahawks uh, explains everything. Like, just give the ball to Nick Chubb and he'll get the ball in the answer for you. Instead, you 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 pass from like inside mm-hmm. the five and Baker gets picked. What are you thinking? Yeah, when you got a guy like Nick Chubb in you know, a quarterback like Baker Mayfield who's who's been making a lot of mistakes, especially in the red zone. You know, he threw an interception against the 49ers on Monday Night Football inside the ten yard line. Um now part of that was on his receiver, but still he has a penchant for turnovers in the red zone. Just give it to your, you know, give it to your your top tier back and let Nick Chubb handle it. Yes, and from another sophomore quarterback to another, with a healthy Sam Darnold and the league's easiest remaining schedule, the Jets are a team we shouldn't be sleeping on in the AFC playoff race. Truth or exaggeration? Ooh, I'm going to say I'm going to say exaggeration. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think they have some work to do on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and as you saw when C.J. Mosley went down, there's kind of one injury away from being kind of ravageable on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Sam Darnold did look good. One game against the Cowboys. I'm not ready to kind of jump on that train and be like, yeah, he's back. They're going to be great. Because as it stands right now, <laughs> you know, they're one and four. So they're not, you know, in order to make the playoffs, even in the AFC this year, you're probably going to need 10 wins. And that means they'd have to go, you know, nine and nine and nine and 
nine and two basically the rest of the way out. And I just I just don't see them doing it. They still you know they still got a game against Buffalo. They still got a game against uh, against New England. Uh, I'm not ready to to say they're playoff contenders yet. That is fair, especially that roster is very very top heavy. They need a lot more depth, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing is they have the early buy. And the early buy can just a lot of times be a death knell for a team that's really that's really struggling and fighting for a playoff spot because they don't have that week later on in the year to get healthy. So I, like I said, I'm, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to say they're in it yet, but um, I will be watching closely because they are an intriguing team with Darnold back. Absolutely, and I am very optimistic about Sam Darnold long term. But as I've said numerous times on the show. I'm not sure I can trust Adam Gase being the head coach there long term. I don't think he was the right guy to pair up with Darnold. I don't either. I, I, I always question when the AFC East seems to do it a lot, where they have a, a coach that uh, flames out in, in one of their division rivals, and then they just pick him right up. The Bills did it with Rex Ryan after after the Jets, and now the Jets have done it with Adam Gase after Miami. I don't understand trying to salvage a coach off a trash heap from another franchise in your division. You've just seen him for, you know, a couple of years. You know what he is. That one that that hiring didn't make any sense to me at the time either. And now we go to Dallas where the Cowboys should not break the bag for Dak Prescott this offseason and make him play 2020 on the franchise tag instead. Truth or exaggeration? Exaggeration. You got to pay Dak. And and I know that that sounds kind of weird because he hasn't played particularly well. Look, the Rams just paid Jared Goff a lot of money, a lot of money. The the thing with quarterback contracts is the sooner you get it done, the sooner it becomes a discount. When Jimmy Garoppolo was signed to his his five year deal, you know it was it was the it was the most money that anyone ever paid a quarterback. It's already a discount. You know, a year and a half later, everyone's sitting here. He's like the thirteenth highest paid quarterback in the league right now. So. It just it's just how it works. The sooner you pay your quarterback, the better off you're going to be. I think if they go down the franchise tag route, we're looking at a Kirk Cousins in Washington situation where they're just, you know, what are they going to do with him? Because he's not going to want to sign long term with the Cowboys. I think you get the deal done now. Let it be a discount. Dak is not, you know, he's not elite, but he's he's also not terrible, and he's better than I'd say about half the quarterbacks in the league right now. So I'm I'm in the I'm in the camp of pay Dak his money but try and get him at a little bit more of a discount than what he wants. Oh, I completely agree. Like what I was thinking was a bigger deal than the Garoppolo deal, although structured similarly in which uh, most of the guarantees are paid out in the first two years. And then we'll mm-hmm. see after that. Exactly. Exactly. Get, get a, uh, get a top heavy uh, deal done with an option for the team to move on so that it's not all backloaded and you're not stuck with a terrible contract. If, if he regresses. Totally. And last but not least, the Carolina Panthers, if they continue winning, they should keep Kyle Allen as the starting quarterback, even if Cam Newton is 100% healthy. Truth or exaggeration? Absolute truth, because when's the last time Cam Newton was 100% healthy? Totally. And I, it appears he's regressed, too. Like, yep, he's definitely yep, a shell of his former self. Absolutely. You know, he, he's, he's a big 235-pound guy who, who ran into the league and thought he was just going to run over everybody, and he did for a little while. And his body caught up with him. You know, you can't take that kind of punishment forever and expect it to be just fine. His shoulders all messed up. His throwing mechanics look off. He's overthrowing and underthrowing receivers left and right um, before he went out. Kyle Allen winning football games. Yeah, I'm not a big proponent of of looking at a quarterback's record and determining how good they are. Look, they are riding Christian McCaffrey right now. They are letting him shoulder the load on this one. But Kyle Allen has been good enough. He hasn't turned but he hasn't thrown an interception. You know that's that's an incredible that's an incredible way to start a career is not throwing interceptions. If you can hold on to the ball and be a game manager, you will make a 
good amount of money in the NFL. Um, I absolutely think the Carolina Panthers should stick with Kyle Allen. I think he gives them the best chance to win because, like I said, he's not a world beater. He's not going to go out and and throw for 500 yards. But he's also not going to throw the game away. Um, and we've seen plenty of plenty of times this year when when good teams have have lost because their quarterback threw the game away. Buffalo did against New England. Josh Allen threw three really bad interceptions. It, it completely killed uh, Buffalo. It, they they dominated that whole game, and you know they lose because they turn the ball over. So if you don't turn the ball over, you're gonna have a good you're gonna have a good shot to start in this league. And I think they should absolutely stick Kyle Allen. The NFL is indeed a turnover-averse league, and that is another big reason indeed why the Panthers should go forward with Kyle Allen, especially with Cam Newton, unlikely to ever be the same again. And now let's go to our game of the week. And this week I chose a battle for first place in the AFC South between the Texans and the Colts. And both of these teams are in the top five in rushing offense. The Colts at number four at 142 yards on the ground per game, and the Texans at number five at 139.8 yards on the ground per game. Do you think whichever running game has the better day likely wins this game? Yeah, absolutely. I think the running game is gonna is gonna is gonna dominate this time. Uh, you know, time of possession is huge. Keeping your defense fresh, keeping the other defense on the field is is a big deal. And if you can chew up clock and 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 you know just make the other defense work extra hard, you're gonna be a lot better. I do think whoever comes out with the best running game is gonna come out on top. Absolutely. That's essentially what the Colts did to the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, and I would expect them to do no different against Deshaun Watson. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the Colts, and you know, they, they really seem to find that identity there, and it was just to go run the ball. And, and Frank Reich did a great job of adjusting in that game against the Chiefs where he's just like, okay, they can't stop the run. Let's just keep with it. You know, no, no need to try and force a, 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 square, a square peg into a round hole. And I think Frank Reich has a good handle on who his team is. Uh, the Texans, you know, they run the ball surprisingly well. Carlos Hyde has been an effective running back this year. It's something I didn't think I would be saying. Um, I honestly thought he was kind of done in the league, but he's really kind of turned it around, and he's become not only a fantasy darling, but like he's kind of bumped out Duke Johnson, who everybody's assumed was going to come in and, and dominate the running back spot for the Texans. Um, yeah, I think it's really going to come down to the running game in that one. Yes, and when you look at this Colts defense, they're coming off a very impressive performance against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And this week, they get Darius Leonard back and maybe Malik Hooker as well. How difficult of a test will they be for Deshaun Watson and the Texans? You know, I, I think that's going to be a big test for Watson. It, Watson's incredibly smart. I don't think he gets credit for that. He had a There was a, an interview that kind of went a little bit viral with him um, after the Panthers game, after they lost, where he kind of just broke down the defense to a reporter a reporter asked him a question and he went through the whole, the whole, uh, the whole play and everything. And, and the way he broke down the defense it was very impressive to listen to. Um, I like Deshaun Watson a lot. And I think it's, it's a good test for him, but I think he's, he's also got a little bit of momentum going now. He's had back to back weeks where he's playing really well. I think his confidence level is up and you know, it's, it's man, that, that, that is, that is just a really good game. And I think that, the Colts getting healthy on defense is just going to make it better. Oh, I think so, too. Plus, uh, Frank Reich and Matt Eberflus not saying they're the Patriots, but they make opponent-specific game plans as well each week, and that's why we have to expect uh, it to be no picnic for Deshaun Watson this time. It's going to be far tougher than it was in Kansas City last week. Yeah, absolutely. Teams that don't do team-specific game plans is, is, is mind-boggling to me. How do you not prepare 
you know, specifically for an opponent. I think we saw that with Jacksonville and Carolina where you know, everybody kind of like, oh, Jacksonville's kind of riding their high. They're doing well. Gardner Minshew's playing really well. And then also they, they forget to game plan for Christian McCaffrey. And so it, it just boggles my mind when teams don't don't focus on on the next opponent and, and do something specific to try and stop them or to try and attack their strengths, weaknesses, whatever you want to do. Indeed. And speaking of uh, game plans and matchups, what are some of the game-deciding matchups of this game? And two that come to mind to me are obviously J.J. Watt against Quentin Nelson and that Colts interior offensive line and Darius Leonard against Deshaun Watson because keep in mind, Deshaun Watson is one of the more fleet of foot quarterbacks in this game and they might uh, designate Darius Leonard as the spy on certain plays. So uh, what what do you think uh, has the... Who do you think has the upper edge in those matchups? Um, I think Quentin Nelson has the edge on J.J. Watt. Look, J.J. Watt is a great player. Quentin Nelson's probably the best offensive lineman in the league right now. Um, yeah, he's he's only a second-year player, but he's just a mauler, and he's he's incredible in pass protection. He's incredible in the run game. Um, I think he's very underrated just because he plays guard, and that's not a sexy position that you talk about. You know, you, you look at I think offensive linemen. A lot of the a lot of the focus goes to the centers and the tackles. Uh, Quentin Nelson, like I said, I think he's the best offensive lineman in the league right now, and I think he has the advantage in that one. Uh, when it comes to to Watson versus you know Darius Leonard, I, I think a lot of it falls on you know the play calling. How, how does it work out? Um, if if they get put in space, that's an incredible matchup. You know, can Darius Leonard bring Watson down one-on-one in the open field? Uh, I'm going to give the advantage to Watson on that one. So Colts get the advantage on the offensive line, but I think Watson gets a little bit of an advantage over Darius Leonard who's coming back off injury. That's fair. And you said a lot of it depends on play calling. And Bill O'Brien, he showed a side of him that I haven't really seen, uh, like ever. Like, instead of kicking a field goal to put the Texans up 10, uh, with two minutes to go and put the game away with fourth and one, he decides to go for it and they get it. That's a, an aggressive side I just haven't seen of Bill O'Brien. Like, where has th- this guy been all my life, man? Uh, he he might yeah. have to bring that aggressive side to this game because Frank Reich, you know, if it's fourth and one anywhere on the field, he's going to go for it. Yeah, Frank Reich is a huge analytics guy, and he and he takes a look at you know what's the probability of us succeeding if we go for it on fourth down here. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of fourth down attempts if, if it gets to fourth and short here from both teams to, uh, this week. You know, it, it, Frank Reich is, is, like I said, he's a heavy analytics guy. Bill O'Brien's been very conservative in the past. I think I think he's kind of listening to the criticism a little bit because people have, have come at him for being too conservative and not not trusting his players to to succeed and, and, and perform well. And I think he's kind of listening to that a little bit. And I think he's, he's turned over a little bit of a new leaf. This will be an interesting week to see if he keeps it going. Yes. And he better because, uh, like I said, uh, he mortgaged the Texans future, uh, to get Laramie Tunsil. So, uh, Deshaun Watson wouldn't have, uh, an Andrew Luck type, uh, trajectory dare I say, yep. uh, and to, and to make it work, the Texans have to make it to the AFC championship at the very least, in my opinion. And O'Brien's going to definitely have to continue being aggressive if they want to do so. And who do you have winning this game Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium? It's in Indianapolis, so I would normally lean the Colts. I'm going to lean the Texans on this one. They're hot. They're playing really well. Um, I think they're going to ride the high of beating the Chiefs. I think they're going to come in with a good game plan. I, I expect them to to not only just run the ball to try and control the clock, but also to kind of unleash Deshaun Watson a little bit. So I, I, I'm going Texans here. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to come down to you know whoever has the ball last is going to win. 
Um, but I think uh, I think the Texans take this one. There's our simpatico alert. I agree. I am going with the Texans as well in a very close game. This is going to be close to the very, very end. But you usually side with the home team in these situations. But I side with the better quarterback here. That's Deshaun Watson. I trust him to make more of the big plays when it matters. Texans 23, Colts 20. And now we move on to our fantasy football segment. And now uh, we introduce a new game in fantasy football called Buy Low or Sell High. And in this game, I will name a player and you explain whether you need to sell high or buy low on them. And do you sell high or not sell high on Chris Godwin? Uh, I do sell high. Uh, I, I don't trust Jameis Winston. I think we're going to see a quarterback change before too long. And, and I'm not sure how that's going to affect Godwin at all. He, you know, he's been a very effective guy. He had a breakout game against the Rams where he, I think he scored 40-some fantasy points. Um, I, I'm selling high on him right now because I know there's a lot of injuries for wide receivers across the league. So if you're sitting with a, you know, you know, a stacked wide receiver lineup, Godwin's a good guy to trade to, to sell high and try and pick up some depth on other positions. Do you buy low on Chris Godwin's teammate, Mike Evans? I also buy low because the quarterback changes tend to change who does well at wide receiver because the, the different quarterbacks have different comfort levels with different wide receivers. And I think Mike Evans is more of a you can kind of just huck it up to him and, and let him go get the ball kind of guy. He's being kind of wasted on Jameis. Jameis Winston doesn't throw the ball well downfield. You know, if the next guy comes in and, and he and he can he can get the ball downfield, Mike Evans is a much better target than than Godwin. And in certain cases. So I do, I do, you know, buy low on Mike Evans right now. Nick Chubb has been the fantasy darling. Everybody has expected him to be thus far, but you got Kareem Hunt coming back in week 10. Do you sell high on Nick Chubb? Absolutely not. Look, the fantasy season ends generally by week 16. Uh, that'll be only six games total for Kareem Hunt to have played. He hasn't been in the building. He hasn't been practicing. I'm not sure how much of a grasp he has of the offense if Freddie Kitchen, if Freddie Kitchens relinquishes the the play calling, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more Nick Chubb. I hold on to him now, and I just ride that all the way through. Cream Hunt, you know, very talented football player. I'm not sure how much of a bite he's going to take out of uh, Nick Chubb's, you know, running ability. I completely agree there, and we all know, especially you as a 49ers fan, that George Kittle has been otherworldly in reality. But from a fantasy perspective, stats-wise, he's kind of been a little underwhelming so far. Do you buy low on George Kittle? Absolutely. If you can get your hands on George Kittle, get your hands on George Kittle. Um, look, he, he's been such an incredible football player this year. And like you said, the fantasy numbers aren't really showing up. He had a, he had a pretty good game against the uh, against the Rams. He went for 94 yards. I believe it was eight receptions. Uh, that's, a, that's a solid stat line coming out of your tight end. Look, tight ends are hard to come across in fantasy football. And we've seen the other guy that, you know, everyone was drafting super high, Zach Ertz, not play well. It is hard to find a quality, consistent tight end in fantasy football. If you can get your hands on George Kittle, get your hands on him. And now we continue our fantasy segment with another game called Waiver Wire Gemmer Garbage. And in this game, I mention a player who is hot on the waiver wire this week. And you tell us whether he's a waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage and why. Starting with Sam Darnold. Waiver wire gem or garbage? Oh, that's a gem. Look, uh, now, not this week. Not this week because they got the Patriots this week. But if you can pick them up and you can stash them and you need to use them in a bye week or when your regular quarterback is playing somebody like the 49ers or the or the Patriots, absolute gem. Um, again, quarterbacks are kind of like a dime a dozen when it comes to fantasy. But at the same time, if you can 
pick certain matchups. And like you stated earlier, the Jets have a really easy schedule for the rest of the year. So, you know, if if you can get him super cheap and if you're, you know, if you can snag him, go ahead and snag him. You know, drop your other backup quarterback and, and just roll with Sam Darnold. The New Orleans Saints might not have Alvin Kamara this week as he's dealing with some sort of high ankle sprain. That's why they signed Zach Zenner today. But the guy next in line for a lot of those touches is Latavius Murray. Waiver wire gem or garbage? This week and this week alone, I think I'm going to say garbage. It's only because they're playing the Chicago Bears. Um, you know, Chicago Bears have very good defense. Now I know the Raiders kind of handle business with them in London. Uh, I'm going to attribute that to playing in London. I, I think this. I think this. This Bears defense is very good, very legit. They're coming off a bye. I really think they're going to be a solid, solid team, and I don't think they're going to give up a lot of running yards. I expect to see another low-scoring affair like we saw between the Saints and the and the Jaguars this past week. And you know, low-scoring affairs are not good for fantasy football. So I'm I'm going to say Murray is is garbage, but only because of the matchup. On Monday night, it was great to see Jamal Williams not only back from that horrendous concussion he suffered in Week 4 against the Eagles, but absolutely running so hard, including that touchdown run and that explosive like 70-some-yard gallop um, down the field. And it looks like he might be getting more work now that he's healthy. So Jamal Williams, waiver wire gem or garbage? I'm going to say gem because the, the Packers offense is is relatively high-powered. Uh, you know, they haven't – Aaron Rodgers has not put up flashy numbers this year for fantasy at all. Um, he's been actually very disappointing depending on where you drafted him and, and when you got him. Um, I'm going to say gem just because Aaron Jones very inconsistent. The, the You know, with Devontae Adams out for an indeterminable amount of time, they're going to rely heavy on the running game. I think you're going to see a solid rotation of Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to say uh, waiver wire gem. And for all of you uh, Devontae Adams owners out there, uh, you should be shopping for more wide receivers on the trading block or on the waiver wire right now because uh, I spoke to somebody who played football and coached football, and he said that turf toe, which uh, Devontae Adams is suffering from, bank on him missing at least three or four more games. So go shopping for more wide receivers until Devontae Adams gets back. It'll be a while. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have Jalen Samuels on the shelf for at least a month. And Benny Snell comes into that uh, 2 or 1A spot behind James Conner and rushes for 76 yards last Sunday. Benny Snell, waiver wire gem or garbage? I'm going to say garbage. I don't trust the Steelers. I don't, you know, they're on their third quarterback this year. I don't think they're going to be able to, to stay on the field enough for Benny Snell to make, a, make an adjustment. And that hurts my heart. Because I love Benny Snell at Kentucky. I thought he was one of the more entertaining guys to watch. You know, he had that little uh, little helicopter mouthpiece that he would wear. I, I absolutely really enjoyed Benny Snell in college. I just don't trust the Steelers. If you put him on another team, I would say grab him. But with the Steelers on their third quarterback, man, you know, they're still playing in the in the AFC North. They still got some tough games ahead of them. I, I don't I don't trust I don't trust Pittsburgh. I don't, not that I don't trust Benny Snell. Love Benny Snell. Don't trust Pittsburgh. Very fair point. And we talked about Sam Darnold, and now we bring up arguably his uh, most reliable target, Jamison Crowder. Gem or garbage? Jamison Crowder's kind of an enigma. He, he he had some successful years in Washington, and it seems like they changed quarterbacks so often he was just kind of getting used to one, and then they would switch it up on him. Um, I'm going to say... Mm, 
I'm going to say garbage, but that's only because I think they're really going to rely heavily on Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson hasn't gotten a lot of work this year, but he finally broke out uh, this past game against the Cowboys. And, and I think they're really going to kind of rely on that because I think Robbie Anderson is a much more talented wide receiver than Jameson Crowder is. Um, so I said garbage. Man, this is one of those in-between ones. I'm going to stick with garbage, and you guys can yell at me later if I'm wrong. <laughs> Yeah, plus his injury history makes him an enigma as well. And last but not least, uh, you mentioned uh, Josh Allen earlier. One of his favorite targets so far has been rookie tight end Dawson Knox. Waiver wire, gem or garbage? Who? Depends on who they're playing. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. This week against Miami, he's probably a, he's probably a gem. Uh, but moving forward, I, I, I think they don't, they don't throw the ball enough. Uh, in Buffalo to really warrant having a tight end because they also run two tight end sets a lot. So he's not getting a lot of single looks. I picked him up myself earlier this year just because I was in injury hell with with my tight ends. Uh, he doesn't produce consistently. He's been he's been on my bench. I see him. He doesn't produce consistently enough to to warrant a pickup. If you're in a pinch, you can snag him. But otherwise, I'm going to say uh, uh, waiver wire garbage just because of the inconsistency. And now we move on to predict the rest of the games of this week's seventh slate, starting with tomorrow night in the Mile High City where Patch Mahomes and the struggling Chiefs travel to Denver to take on the Broncos who are on a two-game winning streak. If you would have asked me a couple weeks ago who was going to win this game, I would have considered the Chiefs a lot. But not only are the Chiefs playing poorly, they're absolutely banged up, especially in areas where they need it most. On that defensive line, they're not going to have Chris Jones, and they're not going to have their nickel cornerback Kendall Fuller either. So while I still have the Chiefs winning this game... Uh, the Broncos have a much better chance than I originally anticipated, especially considering the fact that they have the ingredients on offense to shorten the game and keep Mahomes off the field for longer durations of time with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Yeah, absolutely. I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people are predicting. Look, Fangio finally has that defense looking like it's a Fangio defense. You know, he, he was so successful for a long time in San Francisco and then in, naturally in Chicago as well. I think the game's going to be a little bit closer actually a lot closer than a lot of people are, are, are thinking. Uh, I am going to take the Chiefs to win. Uh, I think short week favors offense because I think it's easier to keep an offense installed and it's harder to prepare for what they're going to be coming at you with. So I'm going to go Chiefs in that one as well. Yeah, I have the Chiefs winning 37-21, to 21, and don't be fooled by the score. It's going to be very close for about three quarters until the Chiefs pull away in the end, 37-21 Chiefs. Sunday at Lambeau, the Green Bay Packers beneficiaries of bad officiating at five and one atop the <laughs> NFC North host the Oakland Raiders who have looked much better than any of us anticipated coming in at three and two. This is my upset special of the week. I'm actually going to take the Raiders 17 to 16. And here's why the Packers are devoid of receiving weapons for Aaron Rodgers right now. And how John Gruden has been coaching this year has been an absolute masterpiece. Like what he's been doing to hide Derek Carr, so to speak is making these short passes to keep the Raiders ahead of schedule in the downs to set up Josh Jacobs in their running game. And this Packers defense, as good as it's been so far, is absolutely vulnerable against the run. I trust that this formula for the Raiders will work once again in Green Bay. The Raiders pulling off a 17-16 upset at Lambeau. You know, I actually like that pick. I'm going I'm to go with you on the upset pick because you're absolutely <laughs> right. Look, you're absolutely right because the, the Raiders – they run the ball. Josh Jacobs has been just just a pounder all all year long. And, and the Packers, I mean, I think it was the Thursday night game against the Eagles. We saw the Eagles were literally opening up 
lanes wide enough for a truck to drive through. And I know that's such a, like a cliche thing to say, but they were actually wide enough for a truck to drive through. Now, whether their running back saw those holes and hit those holes effectively is a different story. But I've got, I, I'm with you. I, I think the Raiders can go in and win. I think they're a better football team than a lot of people give them credit for. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of draft capital in the last couple of years and they've kind of put it, they've put it to relatively good use. So I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to go Raiders and I'm going to say, let's go 20 to 13. Cause I don't even think that you're going to see two touchdowns out of the Packers. That's a fair prediction as well, my friend. And the NFC North continues with a battle between the Vikings and the lions at Ford field on Sunday. And uh, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings passing offense finally appears to have life, but we're going to find out for sure whether they have life or not because they're facing a very, very tough secondary this weekend. Yeah, we've had two straight weeks of good Kirk Cousins, so we're due for bad Kirk Cousins. So I think I have the Lions taking this one handedly. I think the defense is is good enough. I think Darius Slay and the rest of the, the corners there in, in, in Detroit can handle their business. Patricia, defensive coach, I think he knows exactly how to attack Kirk Cousins. I've got the Lions winning handedly by at least two scores. I actually have this as a close, low-scoring defensive struggle between both these uh, defensive-oriented teams, but I believe the Lions, having home field, get the win here 20-17. to uh, This is a rather easy game to pick. The Fish Tank traveling to Buffalo to take out the Bills. Uh, Bills 24, Dolphins 3, and let's go from there. <laughs> yep, sounds good. Let's move on. Yeah, so we're simpatico there, I'm sure. Oh, yes, absolutely. Bills are going to crush them. Boop, 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 boop. There we go. And the Fu Minshu and the Jaguars. Uh, last week, the Fu Minshu uh, had his uh, welcome to the NFL moment against a very tough Saints defense, but he has a significant bounce back opportunity against a terrible, terrible Cincinnati Bengals team. I think the Jaguars, even without Jalen Ramsey, they take it 27-17. Uh, Leonard Fournette pounding that rock, and the depleted secondary, Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark just eat him up. Jaguars set 27, Bengals 17. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one as well. I said before the season started and before the, the Miami Dolphins went on a, a, an absolute fire sale and selling off all their all their good players. I said I think the Bengals have the least talented roster in football, and I'm sticking with that. I, I you know, Man, they, they just have so many holes. I don't think that Andy Dalton's the answer long term. Uh, Gardner Minshew, I think he gets it back on track. Like, I, I like what you said as well. Leonard Fournette, I think he's going to run wild. The, the Bengals' defense is... Not very good. So I can see Leonard Fournette putting up another 150-yard game. And your 49ers traveled to D.C. to take on that clown show and the Washington Redskins. Uh, this is my lock of the week. I think the 49ers win this one rather easily, 31-13. to I'd be even surprised if the Redskins scored 13 points. Living in Maryland, I will be at this game. I'm very excited to go. Um, Woo! Yeah, I will be in. I will be in person, in house, rooting for them. I, I honestly wouldn't even be that surprised if it was a shutout. The 49ers defense is so good, and the 40 and the Redskins offense is just so inept. I'm gonna say something like, it's gonna be like 27 to six. Like it's just gonna. Kyle Shanahan has extra motivation and want to take it to Washington and kind of give the middle finger to Dan Snyder. I think the 49ers can come in there and just mollywop them. And that's Daniel Snyder, the worst owner, not just in the NFL, the worst owner in professional sports, period. The guy just is obsessed with buying a team instead of building one and overruling coaches and scouts and management with uh, his uh, supposed football expertise. Easily the worst owner in pro sports. Hands down, not even close. 
And we go to the Meadowlands, where we have a battle between two rookie quarterbacks as Kyler Murray had the red-hot Arizona Cardinals come in on a two-game winning streak to take it on my man Steely Dan and the New York Giants. And Steely Dan had has had a rough go of it the past couple weeks. But I think uh, this game, even with uh, Saquon Barkley not likely to play, I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game. And, and with both these secondary suspects, even with Patrick Peterson coming back, I think both of these quarterbacks play really well, but the Cardinals are more at full strength, so I think the Cardinals pull off a 34-31 victory. But how um, high-scoring and dynamic is this game going to be? Stay tuned for my bold predictions. What do you think? I'm absolutely with you. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game as well. Um, I do think the Giants squeak it out. I think it's tough to travel from from Arizona to the East Coast, traveling all those time zones. I'm going to stick with the home team on this one. Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray both have big, big days because both those secondaries are very suspect. Um, and I really think the Giants, I know they're not at full strength, but I think they just they will their way win. Steely Dan gets the win this week. Yeah, and win or lose, uh, Steely Dan will be reeling in the ears this week, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. And Jalen Ramsey and the Rams traveled to Atlanta to take on the dumpster fire. One and five Atlanta Falcons. Man, did they get bad so fast. It's amazing that ever since Kyle Shanahan left that building, they've gone downhill. Yeah, you know, they, they don't. The offense doesn't have the same hum to it. They, they don't have the same balance. They don't have the same anything, really. And it, it's 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 scary because they have so much talent on that offense. Um, I, I'm not a huge Matt Ryan fan, but when you look at guys like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu, Austin Hooper, Devonta Freeman, you're talking these are really good, really good players. Um, it, it's hard to imagine that they are this bad, but they really are. They lost because they missed an extra point last week. I mean, really, they are just, oh, they are so inept right now. Um, I, I've got the Rams bouncing back and winning this one, but don't think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be a very ugly game for both teams. I think it's going to be kind of close. I'm going to say something like 28-24, but just not not a fun 28-24 to watch, if you know what I mean. Boop, 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 boop. We are simpatico there. I have the Rams winning, but it's not going to be because of the Jared Goff, per se. That's going to be bored with the fact that this Falcons defense can't stop a nosebleed, man. And I think getting Jalen Ramsey will make just enough a difference in this rather ugly game, 28-24 Rams over Falcons. And we're also pretty simpatico here, at least on the kind of game we expect. The Saints and the Bears, this is going to be a low-scoring defensive struggle. If you have anybody on either of these teams on your fantasy team, bench them. Yeah, this is not the week to think Teddy Bridgewater is going to come out and have a breakout game and try and throw Teddy two gloves into your starting lineup. Um, it, this is going to be a close one. I, I think the Bears sneak this one out. And it, I don't know why I'm saying this. I, I just I think the Bears are going to sneak this one out. I think they have extra motivation. Again, they're coming off a of bye. Extra motivation to just show that they are a good football team. The rest of the NFC North has spent their time showing out and showing how good they can be. I think the Bears have a lot to prove. That is a fair prediction, but I am going to go with the Saints in an ugly 13-6 game because I think they're the better coach team. Sean Payton giving me him over Matt Nagy every single day of the week, plus the loss of Akeem Hicks on that defensive line is going to hurt the Bears regardless of it, whether it's Latavius Murray or Alvin Kamara running that rock. So 13-6 Saints over Bears. And talk about a bowl of two teams that are in tailspins right now. The Chargers traveling to Tennessee to take on the Titans. And I think this is going to be another ugly, low-scoring game. Uh, 
But the main difference in this game is going to be Hunter Henry because these Titans linebackers aren't the best at covering tight ends. And I think Hunter Henry gets like a, an 80-yard, two-touchdown game to make the difference in an ugly 17-13 Chargers win. You have no idea how happy you just made Stephen A. Smith by saying you think Hunter Henry is going to have a breakout game. <laughs> he is he is ecstatic. You know, I think Hunter Henry is actually playing very well. He actually is playing very well. He, he showed up against the Steelers and played very well. Um, I'm taking the Chargers in this one as well. I, Tannehill going for the Titans just doesn't do it for me. When you have Delaney Walker calling out the team because of the way they're, they're tweeting and the, and the things they're sending out, um, it's not a good – it's not a good – formula to win in Tennessee so I'm going to take the Chargers as well um, I think it's a little bit higher scoring than that though I don't think I don't like the Titans defense all that much um, so I'm, I'm going to say that you know the Chargers are going to win by two touchdowns in this one and the Titans you might have to go bust for Burrow dare I say <laughs> yeah absolutely they need to they need they need to change up a lot of things and I think they're uh, in a little bit of a tailspin right now like you said Yes, and I think they need to put themselves in a position to take one of those uh, three quarterbacks, uh, whether it be uh, Tua, Justin Burrow, uh, Joe Burrow, or Justin Herbert uh, in the uh, 2020 NFL Draft. And an interesting matchup of quarterbacks here where league MVP to the first six weeks, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks host Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I think this game is going to be pretty close and high scoring, but I just can't bet against Russell Wilson, especially at home, 30-23 Seahawks. On the exact same way. It's it's tough to bet against Russell Wilson. It's even tougher to bet against him when he's playing in Seattle. Look, the, the Ravens have been all right this year. They've, they've played some really good games. They've played some really bad games. I, I got the Seahawks winning this one as well, and I think it's uh, I think it's close. I think it's going to be within less than a touchdown. I'm going to say a six-point Seattle victory. Sunday night football, I was very excited about this game a couple weeks ago, but man, how injured are these Dallas Cowboys? They're not going to have Amari Cooper this week. Byron Jones is dealing with a hamstring issue, and Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins still aren't healthy. I think you got to go with the Eagles at this one in a relatively ugly 24-17 game, even though neither of these teams are playing well right now. The Eagles are much more healthy than the Cowboys, and health matters. Absolutely. Health matters on this one. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the Eagles are getting healthier as the Cowboys are getting more injured. And I think that's just kind of the collision course they're on right now. I got the Eagles taking this one as well. Uh, I think they have a little bit of a bounce back game. You know, Dallas has just looked so bad once they had to start playing, you know, legitimate teams and they stopped playing the Redskins, the Giants and the Dolphins. They, they look very human again. And uh, Philly hasn't really figured out their defense. They some games are really good. Some games are really not. Uh, but I I don't think Dak Prescott is good enough to pick them apart the whole game. And I think he makes at least one mistake that is a big momentum swinging mistake. And I think that the Eagles do take it. And last but not least, we conclude with the New England Patriots traveling to the Meadowlands on Monday night to take on Sam Darnold and the Jets. Like I said... And I believe you've echoed my sentiment here. I love Sam Darnold. I think he's going to be at least a very, very, very good Pro Bowl-level quarterback in this league for many years. But uh, the Jets roster just isn't strong enough to beat the Patriots right now. I think the Jets put up a, a good fight uh, for about a half, but the Patriots pull away in the second half, 27-17. Yeah, I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw when the Patriots traveled to Washington, where you know Washington kept it close until halftime, and then after that, Bill Belichick goes, makes his adjustments, and just out-coaches Adam Gase. Uh, the, the Patriots defense is just so good and they're finding ways to shore up for a Tom Brady who hasn't played very well this year. 
And, and of course, you know, we're at that time of the year where we're always going to question, is Tom Brady done? And then this might be the game where Tom Brady goes out and throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns. So, you know, I, I the Patriots win 7-0, wash, rinse, repeat. We already know what's going to happen on Monday night. And now to our bold predictions, and I will go first. Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones will combine for not 500, not 600, not 700, but 800 passing yards or more on Sunday. That is my bold prediction. What about you, Matt? I'm going to, I, I kind of already touched on it earlier. Leonard Fournette finally has it back together, I think. And I think he's going to push for over 150 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I might up that more. He ran for 225 against the Broncos. I think he might be in for another 200 yarder. He could be. I, I, that's super bold. You know what? Why not? Let's go. Leonard Fournette's going to run for another 200 yards this weekend. So 200-plus yards and two tutties for Leonard Fournette is your bold prediction there. And we conclude with our challenge flags, and I will go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Los Angeles Chargers. Feed Austin Eckler. And no, this is not because I have Austin Eckler on one of my fantasy teams, but according to acclaimed (laughs) fantasy football analyst Evan Silva, since Melvin Gordon's return, 15 of Gordon's 20 carries have netted three yards or less, and eight of his 11 targets have netted three yards or less. That's just a 2.77 yards per touch average. And to top it off, only one of those touches have gained a first down. Austin Eckler has been the far superior player this season. And Chargers, you better be giving Austin Eckler at least more than 50% of the touches going forward because he gives you a much better chance to succeed on offense than Melvin Gordon does, at least right now, and if not, for the rest of the season. What about you, Matt? What's your challenge flag? I'm throwing my challenge flag at the two undefeated football teams. Do not fall victim to a trap game. These are very winnable football games. You should walk in. 49ers should take care of business with Washington. The the Patriots should beat the Jets. I challenge them to stay undefeated against teams that should be beating. He is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, the co-host of the 4th and Gold podcast, a must-listen for 49ers fans and all NFL fans. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview Week 8 of the 2019 NFL season and a lot more content as well, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com, and remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt, who you could also follow on Twitter at MattBar underscore. And you could also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at DCrom59. For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as always, stay awesome.